Hi, I'm Kaylin Marcotte, and I beat the often path by putting a unique spin on a timeless classic, supporting emerging artists, and pitching my heart out on Shark Tank. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase out-of-the-box success stories to help us reevaluate our lives and careers and to see the puzzle <laughs> of our lives in a new light. Well, guess what, folks? My guest today is Kaylin Marcotte, and she took her strange passion and turned it into a multi-million dollar business. What was her brilliant idea that got her 500K in funding from Mark Cuban on Shark Tank? If you guessed... Boutique jigsaw puzzles. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. We'll learn how Kaylin made a series of super smart decisions at exactly the right time to catapult her business forward during the pandemic, a time that saw many businesses close their doors and some for good, unfortunately. Her story represents everything that I love and value on this show, so buckle up for a great conversation full of inspiration and laughy, laughy good times. Here's Kaylin Marcotte founder of Jiggy Puzzles. Welcome to the show, Kaylin. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Ross. I'm excited to talk to you today. So first off, we have to say, do the, do the kids still say getting jiggy with it? Is that something? <laughs> yeah, Is that still hip? They do. That is definitely um, something we have, you know, steered clear of any copyright issues, but used <laughs> in our marketing a bit. <laughs> the kids may say yeah. that, but we do not. <laughs> and by kids, I mean forty-year-old uh, millennials, obviously. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yes. Okay. So you leaned into something unusual. You found a weird part of your personality. Well, it's not that weird, but it's weird for the purposes of our discussion. You found a weird, yeah, hobby interest, and you leaned into it at a very precarious time. And that's the origin yeah. of your new business. So let's talk a bit about the time. When did this thing it begin is. and how and why? Yeah, so the company launched in 2019, but the story kind of started um, probably five years before that. I started a new job. I joined an early startup media company called The Skim and I met the co-founders. I was their first employee. So it was just like the super like gritty, meaty days, ton of responsibility and total creativity, which was awesome, but also all consuming. I just screens all day long, really kind of that first um, startup experience and the pace and everything. So burning out and was looking for just a way to unplug. I would, you know, be on my phone and computer all day and then come home and turn on the TV. And I was like, this is more of the same and I don't feel relaxed. And so, um, I had, you know, done puzzles as a kid. I wasn't a fanatic, but, um, my family loved like game nights and, and puzzles. So certainly had done them. And I kind of just randomly had one lying around did a puzzle and it clicked immediately. It was um, very stress relieving and meditative for me. I think just the the one track mind focus on this task in front of me totally forgot, you know, all the pings, notifications, stimuli, like quieted my mind. 
And so I started doing a thousand piece puzzle pretty much every week. Um, so that's a little weird. I became the puzzle girl. I posted all my completed ones, <laughs> you know, just on like my Instagram and all my friends were like, wow, Kaylin's really into puzzles. Um, but I was doing a thousand piece puzzle a week. And so I was always looking for more, you know, buying more, shopping online, going to toy stores. And all the ones I could find were like grandma's puzzles, super outdated, cheesy stock photography, same two part box. And so the, the idea that planted was just how could these be better? What if I got to dream up a puzzle? What would I want to be different about the experience? And so that was really 2014, 2015. Um, but I ended up staying at the skim for four years and and then started working on on actually building out Jiggy in 2018 and launched the next year. Amazing. Well, I love that the two-part box was somehow a problem for you. Of all the things I would have considered, <laughs> like that dang two-part box. Uh, I had never considered the box of a jigsaw puzzle to be a problem, but it's apparently like they it is. They all look the same. They all yeah, look the same. Like, That's on, true. Somebody mix it I up. Don't consider, <laughs> I don't consider myself a puzzle expert by any means, but I have noticed anecdotally that they are all, in fact, the same. That's true. Mm-hmm. And before we jump into that, I want to talk about another thing that you said, because there is this thing, and this is by no means a new thought, but there is this thing that we work all day. I certainly do this. I have a digital marketing agency, and the startup that you're talking about is my own company, and I'm working 14 hours a day on a computer, terrible things, getting tendonitis in my arm, typing, 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 computer screen, computer screen. And then afterwards, you go home, and then you say, I'm going to watch a bigger screen for a little while, right. and that's my <laughs> relaxation. But, oh, we don't stop there. Because you have to have your littlest screen right. in your hand while you're watching the biggest. I'm scrolling through Reddit while I've got a movie on, half paying attention. And you say, what am I doing? And then a friend says, hey, you need to get a Nintendo Switch because video right. games are a way to relax. I say, uh, I don't think I need to inject yet another screen into my life. Exactly. So exactly. I love the idea of doing anything that gets us away from those notifications and the pings and the dings of Slack and mail and messages and teams and all of that stuff. So super cool. Yeah. So you found the zen of Thank you. puzzling and it changed yes. your life. And I think I did. And, and you know, I tried yoga and like meditation apps and just nothing stuck. And then it was almost had the opposite effect of I'm like, why aren't I relaxed? Why isn't that? Isn't this supposed to be calming? Why am I not? What's wrong with me? Am I too type A for yoga? What's happening? And so I think with a puzzle and it is funny to see who like is attracted to puzzles. I think there is something about you know, being not necessarily a type A, but like a very like goal oriented person of like, I want to relax, but I also want to see progress and I want there to be a right answer and I want the pieces to fit, you know? So it really achieved, like, it was what I needed to actually kind of mentally check out to, to still like have a task at hand. It's a challenge within a two part box, if you will. Um, But part of my fascination with puzzles, anybody who knows me in real life, so you were known as the puzzle girl. I was known as the Rubik's Cube guy in (laughs) high school. So the same thing that happened with me, I had a bad knee injury. Soccer was my life. I played soccer in high school. I had the unhappy triad, ACL, MCL, meniscus tear. You're never going to run for a while. Surgery. And I was in a machine that bent and straightened my leg just over and over again for 10 hours a day. And this was pre-internet as we know it today. Um, So I was watching TV and movies 
all day. And at a certain point, yeah. I went insane. I just couldn't handle yeah. watching another TV show, another movie. So yeah. I looked for anything around me and kind of similar to your story, my dad had a junk drawer with all this crap and in it was a Rubik's Cube from 1980 something. And yeah. I have always loved puzzles. I was always able to solve any puzzle that was ever given to me, those little contraptions. Here's the horseshoe, the rings, all of those things. People right, were right. given to me as gifts. I'd solve it within five minutes and they'd say, oh, dang it, Like you got that one too. So I was right. like, I'll solve this Rubik's Cube. And then I just couldn't. And then it went drove mm. me insane that I couldn't mm. solve this, couldn't solve it. So I got a pen and paper and I worked it out and I had this little guide, but it wasn't a solution until I finally solved it after weeks or whatever. And then I became a competitive speed cuber where Whoa. nobody was doing this. I tried to get my time faster and faster. This was completely unknown to the world except for like <laughs> 10 people, one in South Korea, one in the Netherlands, one in the UK. And we'd have our little online weekend forums helping each other solve this thing. Now it's a phenomenon. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was, but it's the same kind of thing where I would bring this cube and sheets of algorithms with me to class every day at school. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, I need to get better at this, but also <laughs> there needs to be a solution and it needs to be very right, clear. Right. And it is a cube. It's just not two dimensional, but the idea is very much the same. And to this day, exactly. I think of it as a Zen kind of practice as well, mm -hmm. because it's, it doesn't require batteries. You can take mm -hmm. it with you. You can do it mm -hmm. camping. You can do it literally anywhere. You can take it on a plane. Now puzzles, jigsaw puzzle a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But I also had a very similar experience to you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I actually went to high school with a guy who was very, he, he moved from Japan. I grew up in LA. Um, Maki Makasumi, if you've ever heard of him, but he would, he was a competitive speed cuber. And he, every our talent show would do another crazy thing with his Rubik's Cube. One time he was juggling in one hand and solving <laughs> right. it in the other. You know, he'd, he'd look at it for however long, blindfold and do it blindfolded and all these things. Um, but yeah, I think very much the same kind of thing it taps into. And um, I think for, for people who, whatever, always thinking on, you know, very busy minded or, or, um, or need a way to quiet that. I actually have a friend who tragically, she lost her, both of her parents in a very short span. And so works with a grief community and, um, they've recommended puzzles as a way to, to almost like in a healthy way versus like, you know, a destructive behavior, like, kind of distract yourself from your thoughts and um, and help pass the time a bit. We heard from customers during COVID who were quarantining alone and, you know, experiencing a lot of loneliness that um, a way to kind of pass time um, healthfully, productively, but that kind of was an escape from your own thoughts um, was something that was that was helpful for them. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting and very rewarding to see all the ways that um, having a habit or a practice like that can impact people. Yeah, and and you touch on two things that I value very much in this show. First of all, making lemonade from lemons, as it were, succeeding in a downturn, finding a, a thing that can be successful during a horrible time. That's one thing. And the other is, of course, leaning into your unique passion and turning it into a business or something that actually yeah. makes you money. So you, your story fits both of those. So you yeah. started in 2014. 
You knew that you had this interest. You knew that those damn boxes were a problem that must be solved. <laughs> but it took you five years to put it together, <laughs> to put that puzzle yeah. together. And in 2019, yeah. you actually launched a business. So what were the first steps that you took to launch that business? Yeah. So I had, again, it had been you know years while I was still at the skin. So it was definitely a slow burn on um, just putting together the idea and having it take more shape. And, you know, it started with just, I want a better puzzle experience. And so, okay, what are the, um, what are the uh, layers of that one being the art itself? So I remember the one when I finally was like, I need to do something about this. It was, you know, like a stock photography that was kind of, kind of etched illustrated of, a bunch of fishing tackle and it was just like fishing rods and, and wires and, you know, hooks and bait just splayed out on a table. And I was like, I'm spending 12 hours doing with this image. Like I am immersed in this image for hours upon hours. And like, I don't want to look at this. And so the, you know, kind of prompt number one was the art itself and how do, how do I create a puzzle that you want to immerse yourself in and are, are drawn to and enjoy studying every detail as you look at every piece. And so um, that was question number one. And I, I grew up in LA. My mom founded an arts nonprofit when I was a kid. And so I was just grew up surrounded by the art community and saw not only one, how much amazing talent there is out there and how much incredible work there would be to source from, but two, how hard it is to monetize. And unless you kind of really get in that 1% of, you know, um, gallery or, or representation, you know, art dealers, someone, these, these tastemakers and gatekeepers in the art world choosing you, it's really hard to, to actually make a living out of your work. So kind of aha moment. Number one was, was bringing those two passions together and, um, and deciding that the model with, with Jiggy would be partnering with licensing from emerging artists and um, doing a profit sharing model. So they get a percentage of every sale. Um, So that was step number one. And then, you know, pain point two for my puzzle experience was what do I do with this thing once it's done? You know, you, you spend so much time putting it together and then, you you know, puzzles, completed jigsaw puzzles are pretty large or like, you know, 18, 24 inches. You essentially have a print, you know, you have an art print of this work. Um, I was too sentimental to tear it apart right away. So I would just like stack them on top of each other completed and like slide it under my couch. But, um, you know, the thinking was, wait a second, where the whole point is we're actually making beautiful puzzles with these artists' original work. So the idea for puzzle glue and to basically turn each jiggy into a puzzle kit um, that includes puzzle glue. Once it's done, you put it on the top and it dries clear in between the pieces, basically binding them so that you can move it around, frame it, display it. Um, so that was kind of piece two. And then And then back to that box, I was like, all right, we got to do it differently. How are we displaying this? How can I create more of kind of an experience in presenting the puzzle and, and, you know, imagined an upright box, um, kind of 
a nod to like a museum, kind of pedestal shaped, square, white, very thick. You know, somebody called us the apple of, you know, that very thick very nice. um, white materials. And, um, and then everything's reusable, didn't want to use plastic. So the pieces come in a glass jar with a cork lid. A tube of puzzle glue, a, a straight edge tool. <laughs> Actually, talk about weird, a funny story on the tool. So, you know, I had the idea for the glue and I was like, how do you apply the glue? How do you get the glue on? How do you spread it? Basically, you know, you need a way to, to not have it dry on the surface of the puzzle and get kind of crusty, but just get in between the pieces, uh, those like grooves themselves. And so I, nobody, there was no like, commercialized, productized puzzle glue, but there was a very avid Reddit community who glued all of their puzzles. Of course there <laughs> and is. And so there, so they all traded tips, like how do you glue it? You know, I was imagining like a paint roller almost, but then it yeah. leaves like brush strokes and you can kind of, it's like textured still. So that didn't work. And so I, a guy named Randy on this Reddit just posted a <laughs> video of him gluing his puzzle and he just dumped glue and then used like his credit card or his driver's license and spread it. And I was like, of course, all you need is like a straight edge tool, you know, that can, that can spread it cleanly and get it in between <laughs> the cracks. So that's how we, we developed our um, jiggy like glue tool and, um, yeah, so kind of the art, the the glue, and then the packaging were the three um, kind of first pieces that that I developed and worked on and started doing those while I was still working full time. I didn't want to go out and raise money, and so um, decided to bootstrap and just sell fund it. And um, so kept working, developing all of that, and then. Uh, once we found a, a factory partner, which was a whole whole another thing, and then went into production, um, I I quit and decided to dive in full time. Did you have proof of concept at the time that you quit, or was it very much a leap of faith? Uh, I had, I would say, the things that did give me confidence were um, a bit more, not necessarily proof of concept for Jiggy, but just kind of more macro trends. I think seeing like the adult coloring books and a lot of just like DIY kind of crafting Pinterest. I was like, all right, I, I don't have a direct comp, but I feel like the, these indicate an appetite. There was a lot of conversation around, you know, millennials are the burnout generation was one headline. And so it's like, all right, I think there's enough here that I can pull it together um, in this new way that would would give me conviction. And then really just talking about it with people, telling friends and family, doing it. I'm a solo founder, so doing it alone, I, I needed that kind of um, people to reflect back to me, like excitement or support for it to kind of give me more energy to keep going. And so, you know, I had talked about it with a bunch of people. I reached a point where I was like, all right, even if the, no one bites and there's no appetite for this, like, I think I can sell a couple hundred just from people I know. So like worst case, you know, I'm, I'm out there just selling them to friends and family and then I go get another job. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, did you have any kind of safety net saved from your job before you undertook this? 
Uh, no, I did. So I, I, let's say I graduated undergrad with student loans. I did a management consulting for one year to pay off all those loans and then nice. jump to the skim. So yes, I would, I, 12 months of management consulting was definitely worth a clean, clean slate, um, for, for student debt. And then went to the skim, which, you know, what they did a seed round when I joined, um, so weren't paying, you know, big salaries, but was able to save a little there. And then, um, I consulted with some other startups. I left the skim, was working on Jiggy, but consulting with other startups. Um, so no, I didn't have much of a safety net, but I also, I think I'm, I'm an optimist in some ways where I was, my thinking was just, if this doesn't work, like I'm young enough and I'm employable enough, <laughs> like I, someone will hire me and, and I'll just start, start the nest egg over. Yeah. Right. How long did it take before you realized that you were onto something? Was it immediate success or a bit um, of a struggle at the beginning? Well, timing helped. So I launched beginning of November so going straight into holidays, which is not only just, you know, peak, um, peak purchasing time anyway, but also for puzzles specifically, a lot of people, you know, have associations of they do one around the table with their family at Thanksgiving or Christmas, a lot of gifting, especially because we've positioned uh, Jiggy is more premium and the presentation and packaging, um, you know, the, the percentage going to the artist, it is at a higher price point than other puzzles, but very giftable. And so we went straight into holidays, is this, um, which this is November, 2019. Exactly. Yeah. So did you cause COVID in order to boost your sales? <laughs> is that the master plan? That stroke of genius. I number know. three. Everyone's like, everyone who had seen me this whole, they're like, you've been thinking about starting a puzzle company for five and a half years and you ended up doing it four months before COVID. So it, it was crazy timing. It def, you know, it brought a lot of demand. It also brought a lot of supply chain and freight and everything got more complicated and more expensive and, you know, I had only ever done anything once to launch. And so going back into production and all of a sudden, you know, costs shoot up, timelines for production double. Um, so it was it was a mixed bag, but it brought so much attention for, you know, a product that nobody, you know, press, influencers, celebrities, like all these people who probably never would have talked about puzzles, like were open and curious. Um, so, so yeah, I brought a lot of opportunity. Um, but I think the first time, I mean, definitely seeing strangers order the first time I was like, Oh, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> like that's awesome. And, and then actually pretty quickly on, um, anthropology found us, I think just like on Instagram and reached out. I, drove over to Philly and pitched them and they placed our first like large wholesale retail order. Ooh. So doing, um, getting into anthropology and then seeing it, you know, on shelves across the country was, was very cool. Awesome. And you're still working with the prints from artists that you knew from LA or were they different artists at that point? 
Yeah, so I started, you know, going to art fairs and shows and and curating for, you know, not all art is going to make a great puzzle. There needs to be enough color and detail and, you know, layers and, and saturation for it to be fun. We have put out a couple with like large, you know, um, areas of one color, more kind of gradient. And, and so when people are up for a challenge, those can be fun. But for the most part, you know, I, I tried to look at all the art in the lens of would this be fun to puzzle and, and will it look cool when it's all complete and and ready to glue and frame? Um, so I started curating from my own network and LA people, and then I'm based in New York. So going to art fairs and shows in New York. And so the first couple collections were people I found and went out to and, you know, wasn't sure how they were going to respond if it was like, silly or just not like a use of their work they had imagined, but there was a lot of excitement for it. I think especially artists who wanted, wanted their work to be engaged with and interacted with and not just, you know, viewed, but, um, the idea of, of a puzzler, you know, almost like co-creating with them and, and having a hand in, in putting it together. And of course, you literally are looking at every detail. So the appreciation you have for the work, um, I think when you're studying it so intently uh, is a very different experience, but so much great response and artists who were, who were interested. So those first couple collections I curated and then after that, and since we've been live and gotten some press, we have a lot of artists reaching out to us. So we have like an open submission process as well. Super cool. So I can imagine the person who doesn't like the art. You've experienced this before you started your company. So you're putting it together and you're going, ew, ugh, ugh. <laughs> ah, you finish it and you're just straight to the trash. <laughs> I'm not yeah, framing yeah. this. Ugh. And the artist says, oh, uh, but no, yeah. it's good. Art. I've seen them. They're beautiful. It's not like that at all. <laughs> So we talked about making lemonade from lemons. I have to come up with a better metaphor because that's so cliche. So let's say cranberry (laughs) sauce from cranberries to extend the Thanksgiving holiday theme. So you had a bit of you had a boon from COVID and that supply went up because people were trapped at home. They were looking for some kind of escape that wasn't another Zoom meeting. So puzzle sales go up. Problem sold out of puzzles supply chain issues is the flip side of the COVID experience yeah but you came up with a really clever solution which i think is just awesome so how did you land on that and what was that solution thank you thank you yeah it was one of those things that you know was one of those like doom moments of there's so much demand like this is our window and i would you know friends would be like oh it's a good problem to have you're sold out good for you and i'm like you know, yeah, I guess, but also I would, it would keep me up at night that like, this is the window of opportunity. There is attention and demand for this product and I have nothing to sell and sold out. You know, we rushed back into production, but between production time and freight, it was going to be two months. And so I was like, all right, we have two months with, with nothing to sell. And so it kind of, I think having the, relationships we did with the artists, which, you know, really gets to like our why. And I think that that's kind of a takeaway for, for brands. If you have a why, I think it can um, manifest in a lot of different ways and lead to a lot more kind of pivots and solves and creativity. So what we ended up doing, you know, again, we had these relationships with the artists 
COVID hits and, you know, everything's closed and canceled. No one's commissioning art. And, uh, and there weren't really marketplaces for them to, uh, to sell their work. So, you know, we have demand, but no product. They have no, lost a lot of ways to, to support themselves. And so what I was able to get quickly just off the shelf were blank puzzles. So the, the pieces were cut, but there was nothing printed on them. And so I <laughs> drove around New York, rented a car and, and distributed puzzle, these blank puzzles to our local artists. And they hand painted and, and drew on them and created literal one of a kind art puzzles and then we hosted an art auction and the proceeds were split between the artist and COVID fundraising efforts in New York City. Um, and it ended up being a really special campaign and, and the artists um, had so much fun with it. It was so cool to just see you know, them painting on this raw puzzle. Um, we got some good press around it and, uh, and ultimately it was kind of our, the, the, the gap campaign that we ran until we were able to restock product and start selling again. But, um, it was one of those just, you know, necessity, mother of invention kind of ideas that really took on a life of its own and, and became a great moment for us. You know, what's even cooler than bespoke one of a kind custom art NFTs. What? Yes, you can make <laughs> yeah. infinite copies of them, but my digital copy is unique. <laughs> That's the key. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, something lodged in my throat. Uh, moving on. Super cool, <laughs> obviously. We know where I stand. Um, super cool. And some of these sold for a pretty high price tag. I saw one sold for yeah. $4,000, something like that. So word yeah. did get out a little bit about this. Yeah, we got one New York based, like old school 80s graffiti artist to spray paint on one of these puzzles. And, you know, his art typically is like on walls in the wilds. There's no way to like own it. And so one of his fans from Australia kept bidding up and, and ultimately got him for like, yeah, $4,500. He's like, I've never had a chance to like own a piece of, Futura's work. And so, um, so that was very cool. And it really, you know, we kind of position, you know, with the, the product that we manufacture, like art puzzles as art and, you know, art on puzzles and can the puzzle be a vehicle to display this art. And so this was kind of the, you know, taking that another step, the like next, um, kind of version iteration of that idea to literally put, you know, original art on a puzzle. And so to see that kind of proof of concept that the idea had legs and people did kind of treat um, these puzzles as art and connect with that concept was very cool. Uh, man. Just love it. There are so many different steps here where things went right. So many different <laughs> kind of coincidences, but also just clever ideas that you had at the right time that led to this success. At what point did you decide to go on Shark Tank? When did you think that that was the right idea? Yeah, I. Uh, so it turns out about a third of the companies that go on the show are scouted. So they have producers, you know, out there looking for for new brands all the time. And so 
They contacted me actually pretty soon after launch and before COVID, I think it was end of January, February of 2020. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure. I was like, I have so much going on. Again, I'm a solo founder. Uh, I know it's a huge opportunity, also a huge time investment. And I'm just kind of sprinting. Um, and, and then COVID hit and we sold out. And I was like, all right, this might actually be such an opportunity I can't pass up in terms of one, the, the platform and the visibility. And, um, if this, you know, there's more attention on puzzles, if this could, could, you know, reach millions of, of more potential customers, then that seems like good use of, of my time. And then also I was like, you know, I am doing this alone we're sold out having a potential partner or, or, uh, you know, influx of capital to really, um, double down would, was something I started considering. So decided to go on, you know, did the whole, uh, being scouted gets you past like the cold, the blind auditions, if you will, but then doing all the videos and, um, and refining the pitch and everything. And ultimately I did it. I filmed still, you know, end of summer 2020. So pre-vaccine, very strict production guidelines. I, we all had to live in a hotel room for the full 14 days. Um, and because of COVID, they didn't allow guests or anything. So I'm a solo founder. So I quarantined in this hotel room. Literally, they walk you to your door, close the door. It does not open again. You know, they deliver you three uh, meals a day. Uh. <laughs> it doesn't open again. So it was, I had plenty of time to practice and rehearse and had all my friends on Zoom <laughs> pretending to be the sharks and grilling me. And, Fingernails um, grown out, scraggly <laughs> hair. Like, yeah. oh, it's, it's a custom heart on a jigsaw puzzle. It's custom right. heart on a jigsaw. <laughs> and it's sustainable well, packaging. The packaging is different. No more two-part boxes. They're like, like, okay, How calm is this going to work? They <laughs> like, put us in holes for, two, for 14 days. And then the next time we interact with people is in front of cameras and lights right. and all. And I was like, yeah, we're like cavemen, like emerging like and thrown in of a camera. Um, but ultimately went well. Um, and uh, yeah, the show, I think they're, they're the things that I predicted happening from the show of, um, you know, just the platform they have and the, the Shark Tank viewer base is, so supportive and like really wants these companies to succeed and cheer you on. Um, so that was, was great. And then, you know, a lot of other people watch the show, like partners, retailers, other investors. And so just the kind of tangential opportunities and, and, um, things that the show brings was, was very cool. So it definitely kind of set, set us up on a different path. Interesting. Did you ever see the guy who had the wine in a cup on Shark Tank? Were you familiar with that? It was some years ago. Guy had a wine in a the cup wine? with a little aluminum foil top, and it was oh, just yeah, yeah, a yeah. single serving of wine. Yeah. And he had no it intention of like actually getting. Or something. Yeah, yeah, he had no oh. intention of actually getting an investment. So he just went on the show and he just lifted it up and and turned to the camera and said, ah. and then he just was <laughs> using the exposure as a free ad and then it ended up working out and the shark said, well, I'm not interested, but it didn't matter because he got enough right, exposure right. from doing that. So were you kind of thinking that the exposure was the main goal, regardless of whether somebody chooses to invest or not? Yeah, I think the show is actually in an interesting place right now of like, 
when it started, it was like mom and pop, you know, like real, just they stumbled into this opportunity and they're like the town cookie business, you know, whatever it is. And I think the average deal is like 300,000 for 30%. So like a million dollar valuation and, you know, a lot of equity. And I think over the seasons more and more, you know, the example you just gave, like either legitimately growth stage companies who have already raised, who are VC backed, you know, are going on, um, or companies that know just the exposure. And so I think the, the show is in an interesting place and I'm curious to watch how it evolves of, can it be a platform for both for, you know, still the mom and pop where like this deal would be everything to the ones that are already, you know, in their growth stage, already scaling, but potentially the shark or just the exposure provides a real opportunity. So I'm curious to see, I came into it as, um, you know, again, I, some days I wish I would have had a co-founder or, you know, if I start another company would might do it differently. And so there are days that it can be totally just lonely, overwhelming. Um, and the idea of having somebody in it with me, you know, if I didn't get it through a co-founder, then an investor, a partner who could, you know, help actually scale the business and, and, and flatten my learning curve, um, and just be, uh, be someone kind of alongside me in this journey. So I was like, all right, best case, I get the exposure and that, um, worst case, I mean, middle case, I just get the exposure, no deal. Worst case, like, I look like an idiot and this actually hurts the company. Right. So let's just try to defend I slip against on a worst banana case. peel as I and walk then, out onto yeah. the stage. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I was like, worst case that. So as long as I am, you know, proud of, of telling my story and the Jiggy story and think it comes across, um, you know, that I can communicate it genuinely, then kind of, the rest of the outcome, I'll I'll take it or leave it. Well, you got the best possible outcome because Mark Cuban invested 500K. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And you said it changed mm-hmm. the trajectory of everything. So what changed from that moment? How did it, the business evolve? Yeah. The big, I mean, definitely, I think you, um, it, it just creates a little more, space and just more kind of room to, to think big, to kind of throw out those, what if, you know, uh, ideas. And so I've kept, you know, the team is still super small We're we're scrappy and, uh, and lean and, and I care a lot about still doing things, um, that with the mission, and doing things the way that we were anyway and not, I think sometimes, you know, people think investment and you come in and you, you know, slash costs and certainly some of the decisions we make do not make sense if that's what your only priority is, you know, profit sharing with these artists pretty generously and, you know, the quality, the, the, the price of our materials and all of that. But um, I it definitely opened a lot of opportunity. You know, again, the people who watch the show and the network that the show has built over the past 
14 years um, of just having, there's a person for everything. And so I think that's the biggest, instead of me like, oh, maybe we should consider, you know, performance marketing. What do we do there? Like there is a, um, there is an expert and a person and kind of a network um, for everything. There's uh, between, between you and the shark, if you have an investment and also between just like the alumni of the, of the show. Mm. Um, and so there's actually a reunion in, in September of Ooh. Shark Tank companies and everyone, you know, shares best practices and what they're doing and trying. And so it does kind of feel like you, you get invited into this family. And you can secretly see who's developed a beer gut since then and <laughs> quietly judge each other based on your progress or lack thereof. That's what all yeah, reunions exactly. are for, right? Exactly. The sharing of ideas is merely a pretense. <laughs> it's really just to feel better about yourself. Oh, that's Gary. Yeah, he squandered it all. He got 500 grand and it was gone in a week. Um, cool. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, and now another interesting topic that we haven't covered is the you've got artists from all around the world now. Yeah. So not just New York, not just L.A. How did you start getting involved yeah. in other countries? Because you've got Africa, you've got uh, Eastern yeah. Europe, all over the map. How did yeah. you begin expanding your was it just people reaching out to you saying, we, I want to be a part of this? A little bit of both. Definitely opening up our our submission. Kind of we had we have these quarterly like open call for art and get a ton of inbound. Um, and then I just always, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, always have my, my eyes open. So found a lot of our artists just on Instagram or through collaborations they did prior. And so I always have that lens, um, and, and really wanted to make sure, you know, right now we have a, we have a, an aesthetic we have a certain style but I wanted to make sure that um that there was enough not only kind of diversity representation in the art itself but of the artist's backgrounds and so um yeah we have now a ton of artists in in Europe we have um a couple one I'm thinking of Mafalda. She's Mozambican um, now, and and South African, and just all of her work has such a an amazing different layer and look. And uh, the material, you know, I also wanted different kind of diversity and just the materials that they use because it gives such a, a a unique experience. We have one who is an oil painter, and so you know, obviously it's. 2D, it's printed, but like you can see the brush strokes in the art. And so when you, when it's done and framed, it's fun to see people's aha moment where they're like, is that, what, is that a puzzle? And they get closer because there's, you know, there's texture to it with the puzzle pieces and then the brush strokes on top of it. Um, So yeah, that was, that was very important. And we're actually working pre launch pre-announcement, but we're, we're getting close. So, um, I'd love to share it with you, but we're working on more of essentially like a platform marketplace. We have so many artists who we want to work with, but the model right now is that we release six, a collection, six designs at a time. And so on the artist side, it's just, we, we can't possibly work with everyone we want to doing six at a time. And on the customer side, you know, they, 
a new collection drops, they're excited, come on, pick the one or two that they like best. And then there's nothing new for, you know, until the next collection next quarter. So the idea for the marketplace is to um, enable artists to come on, you know, select three pieces of their work, upload and essentially create their like mini puzzle shop um, that we power and uh, and can work with a ton more artists and, and bring in a lot more designs because we have requests for more abstract and photography and, and aesthetics that we're not currently covering. So I'm very excited about that, which is coming in September. Ooh, so that will probably be the past <laughs> tense of when this episode airs. So we're fine. We yeah, so time. we're fine. It's live. So <laughs> it's already out and it's gone gangbusters. Everybody has <laughs> loved the idea. It's a smashing success. <laughs> it's, uh, super cool. People can visit it on your website. <laughs> it is a newly launched thing. Uh, I think it's fabulous. That's such yeah. a great idea. Obviously, the marketplace, again, yeah. people who have made that popular. This thing called NFTs. Have you heard of these things? They're called NFTs. It's <laughs> like regular art, but it's digital art. <laughs> So you can make an infinite number yes. of copies of it, but my copy is unique because I have this little certificate. I just want you to of know course. about that. It's very of cool. Uh, don't look at the price of Ethereum right now or yeah. Bitcoin. Don't even bother with Just forget it. It's an investment. Matt Damon told me it was a good idea. You have to be brave and bold here. Uh, every part of your story is super cool. As a puzzle nerd, I'm fascinated by the fact Thank that you. you have turned your passion into not just a business, but a thriving business, and that you have gotten mainstream and commercial attention from doing that. All the metrics of traditional success that we look to, you've achieved all of those by leaning into something that probably at the outset nobody would have thought would have gotten you there. You think that's safe yes. to say that a few years ago, if you told your friend to say, oh, Mark Cuban's going to give me 500 yeah, cool grand for a puzzle? A puzzle. <laughs> like, right. Okay. Sure yeah. he is. Like he would even give you the time of day. And now yeah. you got Banksy spray painting custom art on. <laughs> it's going to go for six, seven figures, eight figures. The first eight figure puzzle sale will be next year, I'm sure. And I then it's it. just Great. all yeah, over from there. You. And then people will look back at this interview as, as a turning point in your <laughs> You'll create but, audio NFTs of this interview. That's right. That's right. You see where I'm going with all of this. You see, it can be it can be copied an infinite number of times, but this one is special. <laughs> Don't even think about the resources that it takes to mine Bitcoin. Don't think about the farms of GPUs running 24-7 and an ever-increasing usage of electricity that is an environmental catastrophe. Don't think about that because you're missing the point, okay? It's, <laughs> it's bigger than that. You just have to be smarter and a better investor. Um, great story. Thanks again for <laughs> sitting with me and sharing your time. Before we wrap things up, I want to leave the floor to you here. So two things. The first is, is there a piece mm -hmm. of unusual advice that you believe that very few other people believe? And then the second is promote whatever you want and close this episode out. Mm. Um, I would say the, the piece of advice that I, I got and did not follow um, were one, to kind of keep things close to the vest and to not, you know, stealth mode 
And as I kind of mentioned, it was so important for me early on to share the idea and to get feedback and to help hone it and to get energy from it. And, you know, if you're, if you have real IP issues or, or trade secrets, okay, keep those close to the vest. But, um, I think a lot, I think people have ideas that, um, that they're unwilling to, to share. And I actually think that that can be the first step sometimes of just talk people's ears off about it, share the idea, who knows what introduction it'll lead to or way that, you know, new idea or, or way it will hone. So um, I think once once that seedling has started, the idea is incepted um, to start sharing it and iterating on it. Um, and I do think there's a lot, you know, of people with ideas that I wish and would love to see you know, start smaller, sooner, scrappier. I think um, I'm seeing it change a bit, which is encouraging, but I think the, you know, immediate biggest raise, you know, go out, do the the circuit in San Francisco and that the fundraising is the requisite step, which sometimes that's the case, but I think there are a lot of ideas where starting with what you have and, um, and starting smaller and doing it the way you want with the vision you want, um, it can be the first step and then can set you up later if you do need to fundraise with much more power in that dynamic and, and more control. So I'd say share the idea, start, um, start sooner and, uh, and you know really think about how you can do it yourself before immediately defaults, you know, raising and having those vanity metrics of, of the biggest round. Um, and then for Jiggy promotion, what I'm really excited about is this, this studio, it's called Jiggy Studio. So this is the marketplace where artists can, can come and share their work that, um, we will turn into an amazing puzzle for you. And um, we also, any New Yorkers, we're going to be at the Union Square Holiday Market this holiday season. So come visit us. I'll be in and out, but would love to, to meet people there. Um, and then we also just launched Jiggy Junior, which is our kids line. So any, um, any yeah, families or, uh, or people in need of a distraction for their kids, um, we have the same model we source from emerging artists and, and put their work on smaller 100 piece kids puzzles. So Jiggy Jr., um, you know, New York, come check me out, Union Square, and then Jiggy Studio, um, where you can browse hundreds of work from these artists are, are the big things that I'm excited about. And of course, the main website, JiggyPuzzles.com. Yeah. Yes. JiggyPuzzles.com and social or Jiggy Puzzles on, on all platforms. Very cool. Well, Kaylin Marcotte, thank you very much for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure. Rock on in the puzzle world. Keep doing your thing. <laughs> You're doing great. Thanks, Rob. You don't need my yeah. approval, but <laughs> awesome work. Thank you. Uh, yeah, again, thank you for sitting and sharing your story with me. I, I think it's endlessly fascinating. And uh, with that, thank you. the official fun. podcast is over. Oh.